afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the spirits to join us here today to hold us in a circle, to hold us well. So I call out to the ancestors. I call out to all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines, those who bring us our legacy, those who lived well and are with us to support us in our lives today, to live well and to bring forward through our own lives a powerful legacy for our descendants. We call out to these ancestors to circle round to hold us today as we talk about shamanism and its the opportunities it offers us in sexual healing. We call out to those who lived and loved in a good way, and we ask their wisdom to flow through the lines to us that we may become wiser and more loving and better able to express ourselves in all aspects of our life. I call out to the energy of the earth, to the Pachamama to be with us here today and to hold us well in community and let us feel our deep sense of rootedness and belonging, not only to our bloodline, not only to our friends and our loved ones, but to this deep family of humanity on this very, very small and beautiful and very special planet. We call out to the energy above, to the energy of the sky realm, to bring down to us the energies of blessing, the energy of protection the generosity of our universe, and the benevolence. Call in the inspiration and the guidance that can come from the realms above. And we call down the energy of the sky and up the energy of the earth, and we bring them together in our bellies that we might know this great alchemy of life that we are living today, this miracle. And finally, I call out to the energy of the heart this very special place within each one of us where we can bind and merge the passions of the belly with the wisdom of the mind to clarify within each one of our hearts what our true soul's purpose is and to live it, fully bringing our gifts to the world. So we give thanks for the presence of spirit gathering around us here today, and I welcome our guest, Gina Ogden, and thank her for bringing her gifts so beautifully to the world. Welcome, Gina. Oh, I'm just delighted to be here, and thank you for that wonderful calling in. So Gina is here today to speak about the great wisdom she spent her entire adult life gathering for us, which is just absolutely delightful, which is the ways in which all of us could get to a place like this wonderful um, uh, participant of her said, where sex can be both sacred and fun. How can we return to what I saw in all the research I did about the shamanic peoples of their, their relationship with their sexual life was so different from ours. And they really understood where it was functional and thus regulated. You didn't bring children into the world unless you were allowed. But then where the rest of sex was fun and sacred and beautiful and blessed. And so... Gina is joining us here today. She is an author. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a diplomat in sex therapy and a practitioner of ceremonial shamanism. And if you want to follow along, those of you that are listening online, her website is www.ginaogden.com, where sex and spirit meet. So Gina has written many books, seven books, actually, and the ones that we're talking about are the, these recent ones, The Return of Desire, a Guide to Reclaiming Your Sexual Passion, Women Who Love Sex, 
and the heart and soul of sex. And it is my deep pleasure, Gina, to have you today with us on our show. So what I was hoping you would share with us is, because actually I've heard this story and I think it's kind of funny, (laughs) but that sort of pivotal moment in your life where you realized that you were going to be a sex therapist. Well, I was on my way to creating my my second terrible marriage and um, having grown up in, in a requisitely crazy family in the Northeast. And I got into family therapy and realized, wow, I don't want to be in family therapy. I want to be a family therapist. So when I started to train... I realized nobody was talking about the sexuality issues that clients were bringing into our clinic. In fact, I went to the family therapy books and I looked up under S and sex wasn't even there. This oh my goodness. Was, this was in the mid-70s. Wow. So, um, so I got myself trained. I ended up with a Ph.D. in sexology, which I got on the West Coast at the Institute um, for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Found out they were not talking about anything powerful in terms of women's sexuality and started writing books about women. And um, when I came out with Women Who Love Sex, we're in the early 90s now, women were raising their hands and saying, you know, these women are talking about sex, but they're also talking about spirituality. And this turned out to be one of these, it was like a defining moment in my life, or as I love to put it, a duh moment. You know, I've spent all these years learning about sex. Now I'm supposed to learn about spirituality. And I ended up doing two things kind of simultaneously. One was I started to do a survey on sexuality and spirituality because I found out nobody had ever done one. And the other was that at the same time I plunged into the practice of Andean shamanism, which having tried many, many spiritual practices in my life and rejected each one after about two weeks because I would keep forgetting to do it. Um, (laughs) How human of you. (laughs) I know. And suddenly I found myself in a room ringing with the energies of stones and feathers and puma paws. And I really resonated to all of that. Plus, I realized another duh moment. Oh, my father's family is Peruvian. And it was a part of, part of the family that, because of the craziness in my family, I had been literally divorced from and, the, and really had no access to. But this was a way that on another plane I could somehow um, connect with, the, with those energies that, that were in me. So um, that's the beginning of my story. That, that and that's also the part of the story that brought you to shamanism as well. So you were just seeking, like many people do, for how to shape your spiritual life. 
Exactly, or how to shape my life. It was like putting one foot in, in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and somehow managing, as I went through life, to open the windows to, uh, to what life was bringing me a little wider and a little wider so that I could begin to encompass more than one reality. And I found myself really standing in two worlds. One was the world of, of shamanic realities, and the other was the world I was inhabiting as a sexuality professional with, with a growing uh, kind of uh, string of, of degrees, credentials, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um, just for our listeners, because they're all trying to learn about shamanism as well, can you describe what ceremonial shamanism means for you? What it, what it means for me is that it... This is really good. I've never been asked to describe it in exactly this way. It means that it's a practice. Um, and for me, that practice most often includes a physical space with tangible objects um, that I use in order to enter into a larger reality than the one that I live day to day in. In other words, enter into non-ordinary reality, enter into a reality where the Spirits will speak, and I can listen, enter into a reality that puts my life and a lot of other things that are going on into perspective, and um, enter into a reality where there are many realities. And I don't necessarily um, know exactly where I am, or I'm not able to locate myself exactly because my boundaries have moved and shifted or grown or expanded or merged perhaps perhaps with the uh, with the boundaries of some of the spirits that I'm at play with and speaking of play for me it is a place of play a wonderful place of play in the most serious sense of play and also sometimes the most humorous. Well, and I think that's so shocking for people that are used to sort of stuffy religions is actually how trickstery and playful and joyful spirit is when you're in that kind of direct contact relationship through shamanism. That's right. I mean, I'm usually the butt of the jokes, I have to admit. (laughs) But, you know, at least it's taught me to laugh at myself, and, and it's, it, it is. I think people really don't recognize how fun and joyful it is to be in that kind of relationship. Well, not only that, but the serious part of it is that laughter is a form of prayer, just as tears are a form of prayer. Yeah. That when we can really feel, when we can open up, when, when we can, when we can um, take in and, and express ourselves sometimes without words or perfectly parsed sentences, that that, that is a way of, um, of communing with the spirits, with Hachimama, 
with well, the and, sky. And you're just making me think about something I was talking with someone about the other day where I, I think the other thing people forget is that our spirit self and our spirit relationship with other things that are don't have form, basically. It's a huge language and a huge logic and it's a huge life that most people miss out on because they don't have that way to connect. Like you said, the boundaries get a little softer and you start to have this relationship. And it, it's, it's a language that I think kids know so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my, my daughter, Kathy, when she was two and three and kind of on that cusp of language, she would sing these incredible songs that, were, that sounded as if they were in tongues. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure now, looking back, they probably were. And I was so bent on teaching her real language, English, (laughs) (laughs) Northeast English, and uh, how to read and stuff, that I'm sure that I was guilty of of bleaching that out of her. But just in in our society, we've been told, you know, that there's one right way to do things, and don't be silly and if you have voices, that means that there's something wrong with you, yeah. that you're sick. And no, that's a tree. That's not, that's not something that, that you go out and hug and pray to and have a relationship with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I observed a woman from uh, some other country. I don't even know where she was from, actually. Um, but her daughter asked, you know, Mommy, what is that? And she said, well, I don't know. What is that? And I thought, wow. <laughs> That's not how we raise our kids, you know. That's right. To keep her. And then the kid just went on and on and on with whatever it was, which was part ordinary reality and part non-ordinary reality. But I just thought, wow, that mom is keeping her relationship with this world alive and letting her just continue to explore. That's right. And it's so interesting because now as as an elder therapist, I, I spend most of my life teaching my clients how to expand their realities and, and how to have feet in several realities, yeah. how to have several feet. <laughs> Beautiful, Gina. Well, we're going to a break now, um, and I just want to let everybody know that as we come back from this break, we're going to speak some more directly about her study and how this begins to be work that can create some real effective transformations in sexual healing. So thank you all for joining us today, and um, I welcome you back after the break as we continue our discussion with Gina Ogden. Welcome back, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we are enjoying our guest, Gina Ogden. Um, She is an author, therapist, and practitioner of ceremonial shamanism, and we are talking about her work with sexual healing, really, through shamanism, not just sexual therapy. And um, I just want to remind people, if you want everything you need to know is on her site, and there are workshops about what we're talking about coming up. So please, um, you go to um, Gina Ogden, G-I-N-A-O-G-D-E-N dot com, and you can find books and workshops and free resources and everything you could ever want <laughs> around sexual healing. Um, so in our earlier segment, Gina was referring to this study she did, which was really groundbreaking, and it was a national survey. This is, this is big, right, of 
looking at sexuality and spirituality. And this was the first to really broaden our understanding of the sexual experience beyond these limiting notions of kind of function and dysfunction. And for those of us um, who are female, who have often felt that even in those limiting notions of function and dysfunction, they were sort of male-oriented. And I don't know about you all, but I always wondered when they were going to start talking about me. So, <laughs> so Gina, just, just talk to us a little bit about, you know, so what is the ISIS project now that it's a thing? Okay. So just very quickly, the background is that I, I did this survey that ended up, it was an independent survey, but it went national. There were almost 4,000 respondents, which mm. is huge, and sex therapy sex survey land and the the bottom line kind of major um finding was that sex again this is another duh moment in my life but that that sexual experience is multidimensional that it's not just about physical doing it it's not just about penises and vaginas which is what most of sex therapy and sex surveys look at. It's about our bodies. It's also about our hearts. It's, it's about our minds. And it's about our spirits, body, mind, heart, spirit. And when I was looking for some kind of model into which I could put this incredible amount of information that I had, I realized that I was sitting in front of the Andean Mesa, which, if you kind of boiled it down to its most basic elements, was was a medicine wheel, body, mind, heart, and spirit. Uh, the Pachacuti Mesa. Pachacuti meaning, Pacha meaning realm, Kuti meaning turn upside down. It was a transformational system. Um, where, whereby you could uh, experience growth and change. And I realize... Let me just jump in and define a couple terms for people to make sure that they know. Cause, sure. Um, we've, we've spoken in other shows about altars, and mesas are, I think, one of the coolest inventions by any shamanic people around their altar because it's, it's traveling. You, it's portable. I thought, wow, what genius. But... For those of you that are just learning about shamanism, a mesa is essentially an altar. And the whole cosmology of that system of understanding everything is there in the power objects and how they are placed in relationship to each other on the mesa. I don't know, would you add anything else to that, Gina? Thank you. That, that's really beautiful. That's so, beautiful. That's my understanding in the simplest sense of what it is. The, the beauty of it is it's designed to wrap it ball back up in your mesa cloth and take it with you, which is just the coolest thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like how or, or you can have it spread out in your third floor, which I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a traveling mesa and a permanent one. So just as you're listening to Gina, so essentially what she's saying then is that she's taking the, the logic, the cosmology, the organizing principle and system of the mesa that she'd learned in her shamanism to now organize and make sense out of all this information she's gained from this very academic and very, you know, totally by the books survey that she's done and 
And in, in my sense, as, as I un, understand this, this is how you really transformed sort of raw data into a tool. It's not just how we now can understand and interpret the data, but it's how we can use it. Exactly. And, uh, and if I call it sex therapy meets shamanism because we do have an organizing principle for, for instance, if a client comes into me saying, ah, everything's wrong with my sexuality or my, or my sexual relationship, I can ask that client or those clients to describe their experience, not, not just the physical part of their experience that slot A doesn't fit into slot B or whatever, but they can describe the emotional um, the emotional components, which I call the path of passion and compassion. They can describe the mental components. Did they come in with uh, messages of good girls don't real men score? Um, these kind of um, the conditioning with which we approach many of our sexual relationships. And what about the spiritual part of our sexuality, which I call the path of connection and meaning? How do they reach out to one another? How do they understand the sexual relationship as, as a pathway to something much larger, to what, what I call the oh-God phenomenon, because that's what we cry out in bedrooms across the land. It's not, oh, devil, oh, devil. It's, oh, God, mm-hmm. when the sex is good, when the sex is bad, if there's been abuse, if there's been real awful stuff going on, if there's been uh, control, if there's been um, neglect, then the, oh, God, is, oh, God you know, that it's real despair. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of taking these elements that clients bring in or that everyday people go through their lives with and looking at many aspects of them from many different levels, from cosmic to, to very earthly, and allowing them a way to understand them themselves so, so that it, it doesn't have to be a book or a, 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 quote, expert telling them what's wrong and what's right, but allowing them to be in their own experience and, um, and describing it and understanding it from a, from a very lived perspective, which is also how I understand shamanic work. Well, and I can imagine as a sex therapist, you must be sitting there, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but you must be sitting there through the modalities of therapy, which are largely psychological and in in the wisdom of the mind. Right. And you're trying to talk about sex. (laughs) That's right. It's like we're missing the boat here. It must be kind of frustrating. I I had an amazing dream the other night. And that, and the dream was that it was my job to describe the light in Renaissance painting to an audience of people who were blind. Wow. And I, you know, on one level, it's kind of a, 
I can say, okay, I'm about to give a talk at Harvard, and this is an anxiety dream. And on the other level, I realized that in order to do this job, in order to describe the light and understand the light and translate the light, I had to work with these people and understand what it is they wanted, what they could all, you know, had they ever seen light, what, what, what was it that was going on? And it was such a collaborative effort. And that is, that's certainly where I am as a therapist, as a teacher, as a workshop leader. And that's what this model uh, has given to me. Well, and I want to point out two things that you've said, and I want to make sure people really caught that, is that this system also provides you with the transformational path for people. It's a transformational tool. It's not just cognitive understanding. There is, I think, through the cosmology, an even deeper understanding of ourselves. But it's that path of transformation from whatever is to what what we're looking for. That's right, and I think a lot of people can't get there until they have some kind of cognitive understanding because in this culture, anyway, cognition is king. Um, Well, well, and also, if you don't give the mind something to think about, it thinks about the wrong thing and screws everything up anyway. Give it the right the mind, thing to think The about. mind is very powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. When the, but the mind is a place of illumination, and if if you can if you can wrap your mind around it and satisfy the mind and give the mind something to play with in the corner, then you can go off and do the real work, which is emotional and spiritual. Well, and I'd also like to point one other thing out before we lose all of our male listeners is we are not just talking about girls here. <laughs> you know, oh, no. That, that as a shamanic system, it's talking about humans, and it's talking about the full complement of being a human and engaging in your sexual life. So, gentlemen, don't, you know, stop listening to the download here because this is really talking about a system that can assist all of us as humans to having more sacred, more joyful, perhaps more often, whatever, just at any age. One of the things that shamanism has taught me is that in those realms, there are no genders. I mean, there may be genders, but they're, they're not genders in the way that we think of them in, in our day-to-day culture here. And, of course, you, Christina, have come out in your, in your encyclopedia of shamanism with this amazing uh, notion that there are some 32 genders, or is it 27 genders? Or more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a math. <laughs> yeah, however you want to do the math. Yeah. Many, many, many genders, yeah. um, which, is, which is totally mind-blowing, that we don't have to stay stuck in this dualistic sort of binary system Male, female, good, bad, right, wrong, in, out, um, sex, spirit, as as being divided. That that we can flow bet- between these these uh, ideas and notions and feelings that we have felt we had to keep separate. Beautiful. On that note, everyone, think about that while we go to break exquisite and when we come back we'll talk more about um, how this works in workshops and hear some stories about people's breakthroughs 
So um, please, everyone, join us when we come back from this break. Welcome back, everyone. This is Why Shamanism Now and your host, Christina Pratt. And today our guest is Gina Ogden, who is an author, therapist, and practitioner of ceremonial shamanism. And we are talking about this groundbreaking and transformational work that she is doing in sexual healing because she's had the insight on some beautiful day in her life to bring her own experience and understanding of the cosmology and the transformational principles of Andean shamanism to her work here in America, regular, straight, academic work around sex and spirituality. And so where we're going to go now with Gina is um, we're just going to have Gina take us into her workshops. And if you're interested, if, if you all are interested, check the website because these are coming up in October and February, so they're soon, where you can have these experience. oh, November, sorry, November, um, and so they're coming, and you can have these kinds of experiences too. And so keep this in mind as you're listening to Gina sort of bring us into her workshops, um, Return of Desire workshops, and some of the things that can happen there. Great. So what, one of the things that I love to do is to create, um, create what I call a spiritual container um, for participants' stories. Most of my workshops are for women, but sometimes I run them for women and men as well. But I'll, I'll talk about the ones that, that I've been running for women. So I will have a mesa in the center with candles around for a votive candle for each woman. And I will ask each woman, each person who comes to the workshop, to bring two objects as offerings. Um, because I find that concretizing um, your feelings, it, it, and again, this is a wonderful shamanic principle, is, is a way to help transform them. So each woman will be asked to bring an object to represent a part of her sexual story she wants to keep and one to represent a part of her sexual story that uh, she wants to let go of or move beyond. She'll introduce herself by these objects. She will blow her name and blow the objects into the space, placing them wherever she wants. She will light a candle um, and then she will pass the fire lighter on to the next person so that by the end of the workshop or the end of that introductory um, session, we will have this entirely transformed, beaming with energy of many, many, many stories and in a ring of fire, in a ring of light. So um, one woman brought in a mango to represent the juicy sweetness that she felt with her lover. Another woman brought in danger tape to symbolize that's where she didn't want to go anymore because things had been very bad when she was young. One woman brought in a knitting needle to, um, to symbolize that this is what her mother had tried to abort her with some 50 years earlier, et cetera, et cetera. The stories um, went all, and always go way beyond um, 
what might be evoked if you just asked, you, so how was it in your family growing up around sex mm-hmm. that that they, they're, they're hugely uh, energizing and energetic stories. So um, what we do in the course of the weekend is we work with these objects, move them around, really look at them from different perspectives. We journey with them. And, um, for instance, the woman who brought the knitting needle in, this was like a totally new experience for her. She actually just came to this workshop in Kansas City because a couple of friends needed a ride there, and she had a car, and she said, okay, I'll drive you down. And she just sort of found herself in the middle of this workshop, never having done shamanic work before. As it turned out in the course of the workshop, she said she admitted to me privately that she had this condition called vaginismus, which is a very painful uh, condition where your vagina kind of clamps shut. And this was terrible because she was, she had a fiancé and they couldn't make love and she was very distraught. Anyway, in the, at the end of the shamanic journey, she sort of rose up her eyes like saucers. She said, I've never done anything like this before, but these, these people came to me. They were guides, but she didn't know to call them that. Mm-hmm. And she said they, and they had given her these explicit instructions. They had instructed her to go to visit her mother, who was by now in her 80s in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. She hadn't seen the mother for years and years. She was to take tulips to the mother and call the mother by her Dutch name. Before she went, she was to go to her bureau drawer and take out the wedding ring that had belonged to her father and bring it to her mother. And there were, there were these explicit instructions about how she was to can reconnect with her mother, which she did. She followed them mm. and, um, and ended up with her mother just you know, a big tear rolled down her mother's cheek, even though her mother could no longer speak, and she knew that she had been understood. And when she had completed this assignment that the spirits had given her, lo and behold, what happened was that her her dysfunction, and I'm putting quotes around that, her her physical dysfunction, her vaginismus, disappeared. In other words, she was able to make love again. She wrote our whole group this series of amazing emails saying, wow, this is what happened. And while I'm not suggesting that this is, this is a kind of usual way to treat the problem of vaginismus, in fact, in this case, it worked. That by opening up her heart, by opening up her spirit, she was able to open up her body, let go of the memories that actually they were her mother's memories that she was carrying, those memories of disempowerment and, oh, my God, I can't have another child. I've got to get rid of this. 
And she was able to connect heart to heart with this person who had given her life. And to me, this was just such an amazing one of many, many, many examples of magic, transformational magic that have happened when you create a ceremonial container for sexual stories with supportive people who who are who allow themselves to be in the light. We have just a few more minutes in this section. Is there another story? Another share story of a woman who had brought this black rock in to symbolize that this was where she had been so abused in her childhood. And she was so upset when she was talking about this that um, because she said that it wasn't, it wasn't just the, um, the abuse that had bothered her from, from her father, but that she had enjoyed it. And she could no longer, now that she was in her 40s or 50s, she couldn't orgasm because, because she felt such shame at having enjoyed uh, the, the abuse from her father. And instead of doing the usual therapist will tell me more about your <laughs> tell me more about your story i took a condor feather which which i use um and i cleared her energy explaining that the condor was the indian vulture whose whose great gift to humanity was to was to digest, eat up, digest, and get rid of that which is no longer wanted. In other words, I was able to clear her energy in the workshop. And again, the transformation for her occurred afterwards, and she went and visited that cabin in the woods where all that abuse of her and other siblings had taken place. She felt all of the feelings. She blew them into the black rock, and she said, I threw that blessed rock as far as I could into the lake. And then, as she said, she's been orgasming happily ever since. (laughs) So, again, a way of doing sex therapy that is very, very, very non-traditional. But it worked because of the context because we had created the ceremonial and safe circle where magic could occur and where energy was more important than kind of doing it right or more important than straight cognition. Well, on that thought, everyone, think about that today. The energy is more important than your straight cognition. How many times might that help your day today? <laughs> so we're going to have to take one more break, and we'll come back after that. And I think we'll talk a little bit about power objects, because there's a lot in those stories about how power objects help us do things we could sit in therapy for years doing. Oh, yeah. So thank you all for joining us today, and we'll be back after this break. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and we are speaking today with our guest, Gina Ogden, about using shamanism to give us new transformational opportunities in our sexual healing. And again, we are not dumping on therapy because therapy is a 
important modality of healing. What we're talking about today is how a well-credentialed and experienced sex therapist has found that her own shamanic experience can be brought to the process of sexual healing and, and take it in different directions than the therapy might and allow other things to happen or allow what would happen anyway to happen faster or differently or something. I don't know. It's, a lot, it's reminding me a lot of speaking with Ed Tick, who's talking about working with vets who have post-traumatic stress. I mean, I think there's a certain aspect of post-traumatic stress a lot in, or something like it in sexual healing where we've just had these events. We just can't wrap ourselves around and get beyond as a whole person. And we know there's a problem and we go to therapy, but there's something missing in the therapy because the experience is bigger than, than the realm of influence, I think, of therapy. It is, it is that mind aspect of who we are, but it is also our spirit. It is also our body. It is also our emotions. And you've really presented so beautifully today how this this Andean cosmology allows you to approach that transformation of the whole person around the event and then becomes kind of an adjunct. So one of the things I wanted to point out, just based on these stories Gina just shared, largely because it's something I'm really interested in, in shamanism, which is how, as Gina said, concretizing, how putting an energy you're struggling with inside of yourself into an object that is outside of yourself allows you then to start to work with it differently. It's almost like when it's inside, it keeps sort of smushing around and you can't track it. <laughs> right. and, you, and you put it out, in, like in Gina's stories, in the black rock, in the knitting needle, in the mango, in, in my work, it's in the masks, but in the object. And remember, in the very beginning, when Gina was talking about finding her home spiritually in the Andean shamanism, it was because she was in the presence of these power objects. They can become very powerful over time. And so I just want to highlight that there is something real about creating a power object in a sacred context that allows you now to put that energy outside of yourself and begin to have a different kind of relationship with it. And in the end, you can do things like throw it away. Yeah. I think the, the operational word in all of the very sage things that you said is relationship. <laughs> and there's, I, I remember my, my first real conscious um, uh, experience with a, with a shamanic power object was the first uh, time I was sitting in circle and Oscar Miro Quesada who was my teacher, placed this amazing stone in my hand. And it was as if he had plugged me into an electrical outlet. And I totally didn't understand it, which was a great thing, because I couldn't. I just felt it, that there was some amazing energy at work here um, that I was humbled by and awed by, and I wanted more of. And so that's that's number one. Number two is that when I ask, um, and sometimes I'll ask clients to bring into therapy, you know, what bringing in an object that represents something. This this is when you're putting something into an object that may not have intrinsic uh, energy. 
for instance, one client um, brought brought in something that just looked messy, but she said, "What this what this really is is a grenade wrapped tightly wrapped in string to represent her anger, mm-hmm. her rage, and the and the the object itself had." no intrinsic value it was what it meant to her so when when we're talking about power objects there are a lot of levels there's there's the body mind heart spirit what it what it means to you part and there's also that intrinsic um earth sky uh, axis mundi, if you if you want to call it that, how how these objects um, may have been used um, on mesas for generations, or uh, how they've been uh, transformed formed by the earth in which they've they've lived for centuries, or. Um, it really, to me, is part of the mystery of of life, of shamanism, certainly of sexuality. When I talked, one of the things we didn't discuss was this name Isis that came up from my survey, Integrating Sexuality and Spirituality, um, as an acronym. And, of course, Isis is the one of these uh, early goddesses, Egyptian who uh, was known as the initiator into the sexual mysteries. So to me, the power objects are all part of the mystery, whether they're sexual mysteries, earth mysteries, Pachamama, whether they're uh, the mysteries of the ocean, the sky, um, wherever the mysteries are, they can be collected in this object, you can have some choice over what you do with the object. You can let it gather dust. You can pray to it. You can throw it as far as you can into the lake and be done with it. And the beautiful thing, this is what I love about shamanism, is that there's this whole range in everything about shamanism, including power objects, where you can have that ancient power object that's been sitting from mesa to mesa to mesa right. through generations of some family line of shamans that, like you said, it plugs into an electric socket when you feel it. Or there's the one you create today mm-hmm. with, you know, with your emotions and your energy, and it begins. And that, and that they can be functional. You know, there, there's a ritual done in the Pacific Northwest, way up actually in Canada, where these people spend days making masks for a particular ritual in which the mask will be destroyed in that ritual. Yes, it's like you know. a sand painting. And sometimes I describe the mesa that, that we use in our workshops as like a Tibetan sand painting because we create it and then we take all those objects back again. Mm-hmm. So we are about to close, which is astounding to me. It's been such a fun hour. But I want to give people a little project to think about something it is in their life that they want very much either to create or to release and to pick an object and to tell that object that story of what you want to create or what you want to release for seven days. And then if you want to create with it, place it somewhere so that you can pray to it every morning. 
And if it's something that you want to release, take it to somewhere in nature, to the water, to the forest, somewhere where it can be reabsorbed back into the natural world, and let it go and see what happens. And I would only add to that, Mm -hmm. sometimes the objects need to choose you. Yes. And if you are if you are releasing something, let's say into the roots of of a tree, ask the tree exactly. if it's okay. Yeah. Again, or the water, or the lake, or the yeah. wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is a relationship. It is. They are. It all is. And we we are. figure that out. Everything would work much better. <laughs> well, thank you, Gina, for joining us here today. I thank the ancestors who have gathered around us, our own, and those of every listener who will be part of this conversation. I give thanks to the earth below us and the sky above for their holding us so beautifully in this miracle of life we are all sharing. And I give thanks to the heart that unites us all. For those of you who want to let one of Gina's books pick you, <laughs> go to her website, GinaOgden.com, and discover all of the wonderful resources there and check the calendar because there is a workshop coming up for a weekend at Roe, November 13th through 15th, and a six-day retreat in Mexico, which sounds fabulous, in February. Yes. So everyone, thank you for joining us. And again, Gina, thank you so much for being with us today. Christina, it was, an, it was utterly delicious. Thank you. Thank and you. thank you for your amazing work. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Thank you.